I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Gubby Gubby people of southeast Queensland. I honour their continuing connection to land, sea and sky, as well as their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. This is episode number 176. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. And today I have the pleasure of chatting with Anissa Varasta. Anissa is a clinical sexologist and the director of Relate Sexology. She's also the president of the Society of Australian Sexologists, uh, South Australia and Northern Territory branch. Anissa provides therapy to individuals and partners, as well as consultancy and training on mental health and sexuality related topics to clinicians and organizations. She is passionate about her work as a sexologist, as she has the privilege to be part of people's journeys to discover and rediscover what is fulfilling, meaningful, and pleasurable for them. She's worked with couples, individuals, and people in multi-partnered relationships to support them with their relationships, sense of identity, sex life, and explore how they can connect with their authentic self. When she is not at work, she is probably writing, hiking, watching lengthy art house films, or discovering new and exciting places around the world. And you can find Anissa on Instagram at Relate Sexology. She's also got a podcast called Sexplicit. Her website is relatesexology.com. And Anissa has a really great course, which we kind of talk a little bit about in this episode called Healing Through Kink, which you can find on her website. And all those links are in the show notes as usual. And in this episode, Anissa and I, we talk about some misconceptions around BDSM, particularly the misconception that anyone who's interested in kink or BDSM is coming from a place of trauma, which is definitely not the case. So we go into a little bit of the defining of BDSM and kink and fetishes, as well as how Anissa works with people who are kinky or who, who do explore BDSM by themselves or with other people. and we do talk about the overlap with trauma and the difference between traumatic experiences and therapeutic experiences with BDSM scenes. And then we end in some practical advice about how to explore kink and BDSM either by yourself or how to introduce it to a relationship with your partner. So there's a lot of really practical tips in here as well from Anissa. So it was really lovely to connect with her like this. Anissa and I have started to, to have a bit of a, a chat behind the scenes on a few other projects as well, which is really exciting. So I hope you enjoy listening to us talk here. This might be a good time to describe what sexual intercourse is so you can understand some of the things we're talking about. At very special times, they like to hold each other close. God made their bodies fit together in a wonderful way. At one of those special love times, the sperm from the man's body can go into the woman's body. And in spite of her piety, she sometimes desires the more solid comforts of her husband Pierre's cup. And, and so we can dive in, I suppose. And the way that I like to start is with a, just an invitation. It's an invitation for you to share three things. Who you are, what do you do, and what are you really passionate about? Hey, well, thank you for... First of all, Cam, for having me. I'm a big fan of your podcast. And oh, uh, it's, yeah, it feels really lovely to be part of it. 
My name is Anissa Varaste. I'm a clinical sexologist based in South Australia, and I'm also an organizational trainer. So I provide training to organizations and companies about mental health and sexuality related topics. And I'm passionate about both of <laughs> both of the aspects of my work. So yeah, sexuality is a big passion for me, creating a sexually safer world and more enjoyable and pleasurable world is is my vision and something that drives me and on a personal level I guess I'm a dancer and I love visual arts performing arts so I identify as an artist as well oh that's so beautiful thank you for sharing and I I like that you are going into organizations and doing trainings with companies as well, because, uh, you know, a lot of people that I've spoken to on the podcast are doing work with individuals, which is great. And I think is necessary, but you know, if we're thinking of collective change, right. And like that larger, uh, societal implementation of the work that we're doing, I definitely think that that next step is, all right, let's get into organizations. Let's get into the corporate spaces. Let's get into companies and let's start to affect change at a like systemic level, I suppose is the word, but more like a kind of like company cultural level. That's something that is on my mind in terms of like where I think this work is really needed to go, right? And we're kind of seeing that, I suppose, with like, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives and, you know, mental health is now starting to be a bit more incorporated into, I suppose, like training programs for, for companies and organizations. So really excited that that's like what you're doing because I definitely think it's super needed. And I'd like to definitely speak to you outside of the podcast more about that as well, just flagging that as something that I think sure, is really cool. I would love to, yeah. yeah. And I know we we kind of mentioned prior to the podcast that I think it'd be really helpful to, to talk about, you know, kink and BDSM. And, and, I'm, and so I guess I'm curious, like, how does that relate to your work? Where does kink and BDSM fit into your work in general, I suppose? So kink and BDSM is usually known in the context of sexuality. So, and because I'm I'm a sexologist, some clients come to me, either they want to explore kink and BDSM or they're practitioners and they, they want to debrief or, you know, do it well, do it better. Sometimes people want to understand what's the difference between, you know, kink and abuse, because, you know, from the outside, they can look sort of similar. So that's how I've stumbled across kink and BDSM in my work as as a sexologist. And that is an area that really intrigued me and I wanted to learn more about. So I delved more into it. And now I specialize in kink and BDSM in the clinical context and setting. And yeah, it's it's so much fun. It's just so interesting. And, and that's why I'm in really looking forward to having this conversation with you, because I think there is a lot of misunderstanding, the misconceptions around kink and BDSM. And yeah, when I work with individuals or with organizations talking about non-normative sexual practices and debunking these myths people are like oh that sounds really cool like I like to explore that I like to you know bring that into my personal life so yeah I'm curious like what did delving into to like in terms of it being appropriate for your clinical practice what did delving into BDSM and kink look like for you so that you could better work with clients who are interested in that 
so I had to do a lot of personal studies and learning. So working with individuals and making connections within the King community, which, you know, amazingly people were very generous with sharing their learnings and experiences. And also, you know, whenever I visit Europe, I schedule time to go and go to dungeons, go to... Is that in Berlin by any chance? Sorry? Is that in Berlin? Yeah. <laughs> it is Germany. I, I have heard well. that Germany and Berlin in particular is like the place to go. Yeah. So that, that's why I queried. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> no, yeah. So um, my husband comes from Germany. So we visit Germany every few years to visit friends and family. But because of my interest in King and BDSM, I make sure that I do spend some time just uh, on a personal level going and seeing a venue, seeing you know, people, talking with them and educating myself more in depth around the practices, challenges and learnings, which I think there's so much learning there for all of us, totally. clinicians and individuals. So, yeah, that, that's how I do. And also there are some very limited educational resources online that I've accessed as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing. I'm, I'm curious, do you work with only Australian clients by any chance or do you work with global clients? Global, yeah. So I do have clients outside of Australia because I offer telehealth um, consultation as well. So it's accessible for anyone. Cool. Well, that, my my follow-up question, I suppose, to that is, do you notice a difference in the way that Australians approach the King and BDSM community or scene compared to people from other countries? Is there anything that you're, you've observed? Yes, I would be the short answer. <laughs> the long answer is that, you know, when we talk about non-normative sexual practices, that's basically the definition of kink, it's very subjective, it's very contextual, it's very cultural. So what is considered non-normative in a society? And so in that way, people's approach to kink and BDSM in an Australian context and culture is different than when you look at, for example, Germany or maybe somewhere in the Middle East. I mean, I personally come from Iran. So that's my cultural background. So when you compare, for example, these three countries, then there are definitely differences in understanding of kink and generally sexual practices and what is considered normative and what is considered non-normative. So in that way, yes. And again, my experience has been in Europe, Germany, Spain, and, and some other countries that I visited, there is more openness and curiosity around non-normative non sexual practices. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you making that clear because I think it's, yeah, you're right. It's it's about what is normative in that particular culture, right? And then non-normative is really defined by what is normative in the first place. So um, yeah, I appreciate you, you speaking into that. I don't know if this is relevant, but I'm going to bring it up because I, I someone told me about this. Was that in because I know I've never been, so I, I, I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts on this, that in places in Europe, so for example, in Germany and Spain, you, you spoke about some of the areas that you've been, that there is less discussions around consent only because 
consent is already kind of embedded into a lot of their practices. But then in like comparatively to America and Australia and the UK, maybe that there's more explicit discussions around consent because consent hasn't been embedded into the practices in the first place. That was kind of the observation that someone shared with me. And I'm curious if you've got any thoughts around that. Has that been your observation or do you think it's different? That's a very good question. I I need to think about it. I think I've never th- thought about it. Like it never came to me very obviously. But now when I'm reflecting, uh, I yeah, I think that resonates with me. And I remember the first time that I visited a venue that was just like a swinger space plus a BDSM venue. There were lots of different, I mean, basically the infrastructure was very well set up so that you were very clear about what other people, why are they visiting, are they inter- what sort of things they're interested in, how to ask for consent. So, yes, in that way, I think maybe there were less explicit conversations because it was very well supported to be clear about consent. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for, for I know I put you on the spot there with that. So I yeah, appreciate you, you speaking into it. I mean, it's something I definitely want to explore a bit more. I think it's like part of the education, right? Like if consent is just embedded into sex education and the sexual culture, then like less explicit conversations about what consent is need to be had. But I think, you know, especially here in Australia, at least if I'm using that as our context, that hasn't been the case for a long time. So like we need to have really explicit conversations. And yeah, so it's just an interesting, interesting dynamic and curious to see how like these new sex education legislations you know, especially around consent being included in there, start to change the, the conversations. Anyway, moving on from that, that was just some of my curiosity. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned before like the misconceptions or misunderstandings about like kink and BDSM in general and the people that maybe participate in it. And I'm curious if, what, if, like, if you have some ones that really stand out to you, like what's a really common misconception that you're able to like speak into and, and debunk essentially. I'm, I'm wondering what that might be. I'd maybe I'd like to start by just talking about why a lot of people maybe you know generally find the ideas of kink and BDSM uncomfortable or you know they they feel uncomfortable about kink and BDSM practices in general because they seem very extreme in some ways whether you know they're physical aspects of kink and BDSM, physical sensations or mental practices like fear play or disgust play, age play, things like that. And so when for people who are not into kink, vanilla folks, hear these things that usually the reaction is that is disgusting. Like what, what is wrong with these people? I would never do that. And I don't understand why you would find it interesting or sexy. And my invitation is that if you have these questions when thinking about kink and BDSM, is to just look for some parallel practices in your own sexual world or sexual life or even non-sexual practices in your life. For example, fear factor. You know, people 
going to these reality TV shows, eating blended rats or bodily fluid from a donkey, or going to escape rooms. They're reality TV shows that people play intense practical jokes on, on each other. I'm sure that you're familiar with the TV series Punked. As someone is thinking that, I don't know, their loved one is dead or they're believed to think that they're they're dead, they're crying and they're having an extreme reaction. And then Ashton Kutcher jumps out and says, you're punked. And immediately uh, everybody's laughing. Oh, my God, that was so good. I, I believed it. And, yeah, and, and we all watch that and we think it's funny or interesting. I feel the same way about people that jump out of airplanes, you know, skydiving. I have a I have a very similar visceral reaction of like, I do not understand it. I don't get it. I don't think I will ever get it. I don't think I want to try it. And so I definitely resonate with that like idea of bringing it back into like a non-sexual parallel. So thank you for, for speaking into that because it's definitely landed for me of like, okay, there's definitely things in my life that I don't get and don't want to try and get. Yeah, and I think there are even more benign things than that, like eating chili. And I think that's something that most people have experienced with. They either like it or they don't like it. And if you don't like chili, you wouldn't understand why someone would want their whole mouth or tongue to be burning and that sensation, that intense sensation. Or even things like marathon or CrossFit challenges that people are puking on the side of the road, but we applaud them and and um, admire them for pushing their bodies. So people do these things all the time. Yes, they are gross, they're extreme, they're unpleasant, but they do them. And this is the exact reason why people practice kink and BDSM. So it's that physiological and psychological high and satisfaction that is pleasant and pleasurable. Yeah. And there's like a question here around, because it's like my immediate reaction, if I like just lean into what it is that comes up for me is, is pain, right? Like my immediate connection with BDSM is, is, oh, it's pain related, which of course it's not all of it is, but yeah. So I, I, you know, and I can imagine people maybe listening and being like, oh, what's like, what's pleasurable about experiencing pain? What's enjoyable about doing something that's that they perceive as degrading or humiliating you know I'm, I'm curious if there's like an element of discussion around the pleasurable aspects of it and and is bdsm kink always pleasurable is that the point of it like i'm curious if there's something there mm. so firstly i think it's important to understand the concept of pain versus intense sensations. And I think this is something that is usually, there's some misunderstandings around that because pain is something that you don't ask for. Pain is out of your control. But in kink and BDSM, what we're talking about is intense sensations. And the person who is asking for it, they define the parameters, where on the body they wanted, what sort of intensity they wanted, when they wanted. It may not be all the time. It's a specific scene that they negotiated before. So it's all negotiated. It's all defined by the person. And so that's one thing to understand that when we're talking about intense sensations, there are different levels, there are different levels of intensity. And not everyone, same like chili, as I said, not everyone wants the same intensity of chili. Some people like a little bit of it. Some people really like that 
very intense ones, very hot ones. So it's the same with physical in- sensations. And even when we talk about vanilla sex, normative sex, if you like a bit of spanking, a bit of you know biting and scratching, that's technically BDSM. You're technically asking for some sort of intense sensations. Or when we're talking about rough sex, So it's all the same, but it's just the way that we approach it. And that's why I'm really interested and passionate about educating around kink and BDSM is because basically rough sex is BDSM. It's just that we don't have all the negotiations and the safety measures that we would with a kink scene. If I lean into more of my biases here, just so I can be like a bit of a surrogate for people that are listening, I suppose, something else that comes to mind is like paraphernalia, right? Like leather or latex and uh, floggers and St. Andrew's crosses and things like this. And so I'm, I guess I'm curious around this idea of you know, kink and BDSM not actually necessarily needing any paraphernalia or needing to look a particular way. Because as you mentioned, like anything that involves maybe an intense sensation that isn't vanilla or normative could technically be considered BDSM or or kink. And, and we're using those words like semi-interchangeably here. And maybe there's an opportunity for us to like mm-hmm, just pull sure. those apart. But yeah, just uh, any thoughts around like the the paraphernalia or like the aesthetics, I suppose, of of BDSM. Don't even really know what I'm asking there, but just curious to hear yeah, your Yeah, I think I, I have, yeah, I feel like I understand what you're saying is that, is that what about those parts? Are they necessary? What do people find interesting about them or arousing about them? There is a quote or a definition of kink by one of my favorite sexuality educators from the US, Midori. She defines kink as sex or play. No, sorry. Childlike play with adult sexual privileges and much cooler toys. So when we reframe kink as play, then we look at all these tools or toys that we bring in with a very different lens and the way that we relate to these kink practices very differently. Why do people like adults? Why do they like costume parties? Because we provide an opportunity. I mean, this is my personal perspective, that we provide an opportunity for these younger parts of ourselves to come out and play. You put on a costume, you know, maybe it's Halloween, I put on a costume of a witch. It doesn't necessarily mean that I want to be a witch or I am a witch. I just want to take on the role of a witch tonight. And, you know, some people get really into it and get into character and some people just you know put on the costume and it doesn't really mean much so it's very similar to role plays or to bringing in different toys or visuals and some people their erotic blueprint or their learning style is more visual so they would like to bring in more visual things into their play and sometimes people are more auditory so they may negotiate in a king context they may negotiate to have a verbal narrative included in their play so you can just get creative with your 
play, not necessarily sex. And I think this is, again, something that people, when when I explain that kink is not always about sex, they're like, what? In all magazines and movies, everything that you see, kink is sex. But no, it's not. Sex is just a tool in your kinky toolbox that you can have. You can have floggers, you can have nipple clamps and whatever it is that you have, and you can have sex. And sometimes you bring it out and you use it, sometimes you don't. Because as I said, it's that psychological high and sometimes uh, physical sensations that is pleasurable and it's not necessarily all the time sexual. Yeah, okay. I think that's a really important piece of this puzzle in terms of understanding uh, kink in general. And I love the idea of it being play. So thank you for for bringing that up because like, I think that's a very big assumption is that like, oh, it's sexually gratifying. And that's the reason why we do it or the, the reason why people do it, I suppose. And so, yeah, I, I want to maybe unpack that a little bit more because that's definitely been like you know, previously my assumption as well. The more I've learned about King BDSM, the more I've realized that it isn't necessarily all about sex, but there is an element of it in um, certain situations, especially when it comes to like the gratification piece. But I'm curious, like what are some other reasons why people might engage in like kink and BDSM, if not for sexual gratification? Interestingly, my experience with um, most kink communities that I have engaged with around the world is that there are a lot of people who identify as asexual in the kink community. And so the reason for that is, again, that psychological experience of power exchange dynamics, which most of the time is about that power exchange dynamic versus physical sensations. So that can be very pleasurable. Someone you know, giving the control of their body and you know that scene to you, so being in charge of that scene. And sometimes it's about that, uh, that idea of surrender, that experience of surrender, that you just, you're done. You're like, I have so many responsibilities in my life and just for this half hour or 60 minutes, I want someone else to take charge. So, yeah, it's similar to experiences of, say, you know, you had a very difficult six months in your life, you were working really hard, and then you get on this plane and you give control to the captain. Just take me to a beautiful destination. So it's it's like that. And the other reason that I've heard, especially from clients, is that it can a kink scene can act as a kitchen lab type of thing. So people can play out something that they would like to do in real life in a controlled, safe, consensual environment. Because, you know, if you want to try something out in real life in a real relationship, not a real relationship, but in a you know different relationship, that there may be a lot of consequences there. But in kink, it's controlled, it's consensual, and everyone is aware that this is role play. So we're just going to test this and see if it works. And if it does, then, you know, you might want to try it in the other aspects of your life. 
The other reason that people participate in kink practices, and this is interestingly, again, I've had some clients who are neurodivergent and they said that they really enjoyed their culture of clear communication in that community. So it's very acceptable for you to sit with you know, a pad of paper and a pen and say, what is it that you want in this relationship? Do you want sex with your king? Do you want your hands to be tied? What do you what turns you on? What turns you off? We don't do that in, you know, the broader mainstream community. We don't do that in vanilla sex. People enjoy. Also, again, talking about neurodivergent divergent people. And obviously, this is some people that I have worked with. I'm not talking about everybody's experience, but they say that. It's very acceptable to advocate for your own needs. So if you have some sort of sensory need, maybe you're in the middle of a scene and your sock is scrunched up, you need to stop and fix that. It's very acceptable to say, hey, stop. I have a need. I need to attend to my need and then we can continue. So that is um, something that people really enjoy and appreciate. Yeah, thank you for speaking into that. I think that's a really valuable insight into the things that are, what am I trying to say? The things that are, I have lost my train of thought. Yeah, the things that people enjoy from it. I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but the, the things that speak to people about like the, the BDSM community and, and why they, they go into it. Like I, I often speak about like the spectrum of pleasure and it not being specifically just about, I speak to a lot of heterosexual men, so not specifically about like touching your penis and being penetrative with your partner, but like pleasure being much more subtle versus you know, much more intense. And can you explore like that full, that full spectrum of it? And part of me feels like, you know, that's, what is kind of happening with people that are exploring kink and BDSM is like there is so much more that's pleasurable that doesn't have to be explicitly sexual in order to like have an enjoyable experience. And so, yeah, thank you for, for speaking into to that. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure-oriented, we talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Uh, let's get back to this episode. Oh, I suppose we did mention before the difference between kink and BDSM. Maybe we can like pass that out just a little bit for, for people that are maybe familiar with those two terms, know that they're not the same and are screaming at us from listening in the you know podcast going like, what's the difference? So yes. maybe we can speak into to the difference a little bit if that works for you. So kink is the umbrella term of non-normative sexual practices and BDSM is a type of kink. And BDSM stands for bondage, discipline, sadism, masochism, submission and dominance. So it's BDDSSM. 
but in short, we say BDSM. So that's the difference. So there are some other practices that fall under kink that is not necessarily BDSM. And I wanted to also talk a little bit, Cam, you asked me about some misconceptions around kink and BDSM, that one of the things that come up very often is people are interested in kink because of some damage that has been done to them or some sort of trauma that they've experienced in childhood. And I have a lot of clients actually coming to seek therapy because they believe that their sexual interest is as a result of a trauma that they've experienced as children. So I want to clear that, that there is no evidence, no research to to support this idea that you have sexual non-normative sexual desires or behaviors necessarily because of a trauma. So there is no link there. However, people who have had experiences of, of trauma may have kinky fantasies or kinky desires like everybody else. And that's where sometimes people tap into the therapeutic elements of kink and BDSM to recover from some traumatic experiences that they may have experienced. And so I think that there's a difference there. Yeah. Thank you for speaking to that. That was going to be my next question. And someone who I want to get on the podcast is Shawnee Love or Shawnee Wild. I'm not sure which which name he's using at the moment, but who is a yeah, BDSM practitioner and specifically in a therapeutic context to help people work through traumatic experiences. And I, of course, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but from what I understand about the therapeutic use of like BDSM scenes is that, as you mentioned before, there's like a, it, it's fully consensual. It's like very specifically, like, what are you looking for? Like, why are we doing this? What is it that you want to get from it? And so there's an element of being in total control of that space where in the traumatic experience that, you know, the, the therapy or the BDSM therapeutic space is there to kind of help remediate is out of your control. And so like there's an opportunity to like be in control fully of that space so that you can work through the the trauma that came up for you or the, or the experiences that came up for you. So and I know that's what Shawnee does specifically. And so I'd love to speak to him more about it. But I think that's like a really maybe not commonly understood idea that like those spaces can be very therapeutic for people. And so in terms of like, I guess, going deeper into to that idea, do you have any like concrete examples of how BDSM or, or kink in general might be therapeutic for someone? One thing I want to clarify is that you know, kink can be therapeutic. It is not therapy. So you know, if someone has an experience of trauma, we don't recommend just go and do some kink and BDSM and <laughs> you will recover. So I just want to clear that. In terms of therapeutic elements of kink and BDSM, there are multiple aspects that are therapeutic. One is exactly what you mentioned is around having control. Sometimes people choose to reenact part of their traumatic experience and but this time they are in control this time they define the parameters this time they are being taken care of before during and after this time is pleasurable and that can 
rewire some of the neural pathways and that can be therapeutic. So that's one reason or one aspect of kink being therapeutic. The other one, as I mentioned, is this idea of play. And when we look at play therapy, there are so many areas of play that now we identify we can bring into adulthood. And there's some activities that were considered just for children, for example, coloring in. But now we have coloring books for adults because we appreciate the the therapeutic elements of play. And so, again, it's that opportunity that we provide for these younger parts of ourselves to come out and play in a safe space, in a consensual space, creativity, fun, because sex, if we're talking about the sexual aspect of kink, it doesn't have to be serious. It doesn't have to be, you know, a chore. It can be fun. It can be creative and curious. So again, this is another aspect that can be very therapeutic for people. And there are more as well. I've got a pre-recorded course. It's called Healing Through Kink. And so I go in more depth into how you can, people can tap into the therapeutic elements of kink and BDSM. Yeah. Do, do you find that that's like a starting point for many people or is it like a they start to kind of get into kink and then they go, oh, actually there's a therapeutic element to this or is it something completely different? Both, I think. I have come across people that they have just started you know, pra- practicing and then they feel like, oh, this is very therapeutic. This has really helped me. And sometimes it's intentional. People like, you know, I've heard that it can be therapeutic. And then they come to someone like me to support them through that process so that, you know, they won't be re-traumatized because if not done well, any sort of anything can be re-traumatizing basically, especially if you're touching on something very um, sore and sensitive. So they come to me to plan ahead around negotiations, safety planning, triggers, managing triggers in a scene, and also debriefing afterwards. So how did it go? How did you feel? What were the learnings? And so both ways. Yeah. Yeah. And is there like on the reverse side of this, like I can imagine people thinking that that you know, BDSM is itself traumatizing or traumatic for people. And I'm curious if you have worked with anyone who has felt traumatized from maybe some unsafe BDSM scenarios and like if that has a factor on on their future exploration of kink and BDSM. Mm-hmm. Yep. So kink relationships power exchange dynamics like any other human relationship can be abusive as well because of people you know people can bring their stuff into whatever dynamic whatever relationship that they have so the answer is yes i have worked with people who have had very negative and traumatic experiences in a kink dynamic in a bdsm scene and i think My experience is that mostly because there is very little education around how to do it so safely and there's so much stigma around kink and BDSM that becomes a barrier for people to access support and information. So, again, when we talk about rough sex, that's something that I personally think that's kink or that's some aspects of BDSM. And so I've had people coming to me because they've had 
they've been traumatized because of a rough sex experience because it wasn't consensual because it wasn't negotiated it was just that in that heat of the moment that someone did something so very similarly if suddenly someone wants to introduce kink and BDSM in their already established relationships or you know if they're in a relationship with someone already and then suddenly they go in the bedroom with some ropes (laughs) that can be traumatizing for the other person without any negotiation yeah I appreciate you you speaking into that because one of the things that I've noticed you know I'm much more in the sacred sexuality tantra kind of spaces and I'm doing my best to try and learn more from the the kink and BDMs, BDSM spaces, but, you know, something that is very prevalent in the sacred sexuality tantra communities is like abuses of power by particularly you know, male tantra guru type figures. And, and the more I kind of like speak to people from the kind of kink and BDSM spaces, the more I hear of like, oh, there's essentially people doing the same thing because the, the human beings exist in both of those spaces and human beings are you know kind of flawed in that regard so abuses of power and 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 people that are you know, doing it out of integrity and things like that so that's why i kind of queried about it and it doesn't surprise me i suppose unfortunately you know it, it, part of me is like you know there's a need for more education i suppose to help people kind of make informed decisions about who they choose to engage in you know if they're they're seeking someone who does it professionally i suppose do you think i'm just curious around this do you think like there needs to be some regulation put into place or some like i don't know like a a professional body or which which has like ethical guidelines that pro doms or kinksters kind of like sign up to i have no idea i'm just spitballing here it's just come to come to my mind but i'm curious what your creative (laughs) yeah what your thoughts are on like maybe helping create more safety in in those spaces my my personal preference is education i think if we can and also destigmatization of sexual practices in general because you know there is so much you can do to regulate and police people but if you provide education hopefully people will make more informed decisions and they can identify perpetrators versus true doms or identifying abuse yeah in in a community and abuse of power so yeah i think if we could provide more education and information more publicly available it would be very helpful yeah, that's kind of my my approach as well as more education and less stigmatization. I don't think the regulation piece is, you know, I kind of, I sometimes complain about like the lack of regulation in the coaching space, but it's like slightly, slightly different. I guess I'm curious, like we've got about 10, 15 minutes left. You know, you, you mentioned very briefly, like around incorporating you made the joke about like bringing rope in without any consent and that might be being a bit triggering for a partner but i'm i guess like on the flip side of this then what might be a a safe way to start introducing kink and bdsm into maybe i have two parts to this question into your own life solo maybe you're not in a relationship how might you start exploring that solo and then my follow-up to that if we get around to it is how might you start doing that if you are in a relationship with someone you're having relatively vanilla sex and you want to start to 
maybe get a little bit kinkier. What are some safe ways of, of doing that? So that's my two-part question. Which I think they're relevant. They're yeah. related to each other. For solo exploration, maybe starting off by identifying what sort of sensations you tend to lean into. Are you more of a visual person? Are you more auditory? Are you more tactile? And then bringing in some elements of those sensations into your solo sex or solo time, even if it's not sexual. So you can start off there, getting curious about it. Do you like role play? Do you like costume parties? And bringing in some of those things into your playtime with yourself. Again, education, getting more information. And unfortunately, porn is not a very realistic representation of consensual kink because we don't tend to see the negotiation and aftercare that happens, you know, before and after. But sometimes if you're someone who watches porn, that can give you some ideas of what you're interested in. So you can get some inspirations there as well. I've seen a few um, less mainstream porn producers. I think like Shine Louise Houston's Crash Pad series does a relatively good job of like talking about consent and, and kink and stuff like that with regards to uh, people that have disabilities. I think they do a relatively good job. Uh, although I don't like know a lot about Erica Lust and her production, I know there is one particular BDSM scene, which is quite good. And I think it's called An Appointment with My Master. It does a really good job of explicitly showing ongoing check-ins throughout a BDSM scene as well. So I think there are like, there is some educational value, at least in my opinion, to some non-mainstream porn out there because i i 100 hear you on like the poor representations in mainstream porn and also in mainstream movies and things like that i think one of the things i've heard is how many kingsters have lamented 50 shades of gray being like people's initial you know introductions to the world of of uh, bdsm so uh, so i definitely hear you on that and I, I just wanted to plug some other really what i've considered to be educational explicitly you know sexual content because i think there is some there is some out there i'd love to see more of it of course yeah absolutely yeah there are some ethical porn industries and websites so they definitely have some very good general content so on 50 shades of gray my personal idea is that it's abuse <laughs> but if you if you like some of the aspects that you see on in the movie then yeah you can start there as well but the, generally that whole representation that is an abusive relationship that is not a consensual kink dynamic that's why just very briefly there yeah <laughs> thank you yeah I, I have heard so many people that know you know in depth kink and BDSM are like for fuck's sake, pretty much. Like, yeah. why did that have to be people's introduction to it? So, yeah, um, the, the damage has been done, unfortunately, and, and now the education piece is really important, right, after that. Yeah, that's right. So I just want to answer the last part of your question very briefly because I'm yeah, aware of time. And that's introducing or talking with your partner about introducing some aspects of kink and BDSM. 
My suggestion is having the conversation outside of the bedroom because that's usually when we are aroused. So if we're saying bedroom, that I mean, in a sexual context, obviously not just a physical bedroom, but when we are aroused, our perception is impacted by all these hormones that are produced. And we can't think in the same way that we usually think. Our tolerance level for things are much higher, for example, for disgust, for sensations, and that's just the way we are, we're designed. For that reason, if it's the first time that you're talking about kink and BDSM, I suggest that you talk about it in a non-sexual context. And again, introducing it as exploring sensations, talking about, you know, what are some things that you like more of in our place, something that you already enjoy, but I can do more of, or that, you know, I really love the way that you touch me here, or when you scratch me there, I'd like to ask for more of that. Or reframing again as something, how can we get more um, creative? around our sex and play? What are some ways that we can connect a bit more with each other in a more creative way than just whatever that we have been doing? And then going maybe online, doing a bit of research about different things that arouse you. And again, you can start as a couple or as multi-partners who are in a relationship on Focusing on sensations, on visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and different sensations that we have, senses that we have, and asking each other more about getting curious about each other's senses and preferences in that way. So, in a nutshell, my suggestion is that not just saying let's get kinky but talk reframing it as play as sensations yeah yeah i really resonate with that and i love that question of you know what is it that you want to feel or what do you want to feel more of because you know i get i get people asking me like hey i i want to like buy some handcuffs you know can you because i am affiliate for an adult toy company and they're like i want to bring this into our you know, sex and, and play together as a, as a couple. And I kind of query them. I'll, I'll share with them a, a, you know, a link if that's what they're asking for. But like, I'll query them like, you know, what is it about the handcuffs that, that intrigues you? You know, why, why do you want to bring those in? What is it that they elicit for you? Is it, you know, a, a sense of loss of control, a lack of control? Or if you're the person administering the handcuffs, is it the, the sense of being more in control of being in a place of power? or being able to let go or is it you know specifically having the the sensation around your wrists or around the the legs or as just as as by way of example but like i think that's a really great prompt for people because the reason why i kind of brought up that paraphernalia question earlier in our conversation is because i think that's where a lot of people's minds go it did for me before i really learned about the the kind of what we might call the energetics, I suppose, of kink and BDSM and like the whole idea of sensation. I was like, oh, I, I need to get a flogger, right? Or I need to get a whip because that's what BDSM is, right? And so that's what I need to, to get. Uh, so rather than like thinking firstly, what do I actually want to experience? I went straight for the, what do I need to get? 
you know, in terms of items and paraphernalia and, and apparel. Uh, so I, I really love that. So thank you for for bringing that back into to like focus because that's definitely that was key for me when I was like starting to explore with my partner with myself around like you know what it is that we want from sex and from play was that that crucial bit like well what what do we enjoy what do we want, what do we want more of what do we want to experience what sensations do we you know want to want to explore so yeah thank you for that and, and thank you for your time and so I'm I'm curious you know is there anything. Any final pieces of wisdom or pieces of advice that you want to share as we kind of close out the conversation? Um, just be curious, go out and have fun, be creative. Yeah, that, that's all I can say. Yeah, amazing. Uh, well, thank you so much for spending the time. I know you're busy and and you know, you've got a family as well as like myself. So um, we're kind of navigating that. So appreciate you you spending the time having a chat with me and. Yeah, thank you for for just you know, being open and you know educating and destigmatizing this really you know beautiful and nuanced area of of you know sexual play because I think it's super necessary. I'm, I'm glad that I was able to to host you and have this conversation. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me, Cam. And I just want to say one final thing is that I really enjoyed your episode on I don't remember the title, but it was on postpartum intimacy. And so if your listeners, they have kids or they're thinking of having kids, I highly recommend listening to that episode. It was very, very educational and it I really resonated with that. Oh, that's so lovely. Thank you so much for plugging one of my other episodes. That's really <laughs> beautiful. Um, and I'm so glad that it, that, that it resonated. It was, you know, it was an opportunity for me to share a bit about my, my experience as a man as well. So yeah, I'm glad that you know putting that out there is, is you know, resonating with, with other people. So thank you so much, Anissa. I really appreciate that. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind the scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.